We're going to jump in. We are reading from Revelation chapter 5 at the moment. We had a great time at Connect Group talking through these because the Connect Groups have got the reading plan ahead of time. So, so will you if you are following the, the reading plan that are on your chairs. Um, so you're welcome. Sorry? Nothing. Okay. You're welcome to kind of read a little bit ahead and just what's God saying through this. So let's read together from Revelation chapter 5 from verse 1. John is still in heaven. He's been caught up into heaven in Revelation chapter 4. He was on earth, saw Jesus amongst the lampstands. So Jesus is talking to the churches. Now this is the, Jesus, he's been caught up into the spirit. Now he's looking at heaven and it different, properly different. And the whole of verse 4, he saw the father on the throne and all the creatures worshiping him and all the 24 elders which represent all mankind. Now Revelation chapter 5 from verse 1, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him, who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break open the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So I mentioned this last week. If you read that, or you read that at home group, or in your Bible reading this week, and you were like, "Woo, that's a thing. You're in great company. Because the guy who wrote this was an uneducated subsistence fisherman. And if you feel sorry for yourself reading this in your quiet time, imagine that guy. Because, so... Just South Africa, I mentioned it last week, but just like let's South Africanize it, okay? You've got the subsistence fisherman, Khatib, down there in Cape Town, he's catching snook and line, but it's only got four teeth. And that's the guy who now God gives this revelation to. But not only does he get the revelation, but he gets told, write it down so that everybody for history can read it. And it's Jesus literally who told him to do that. Talk about pressure. 
right? Like, poor guy. Like, he's, he's under it. You know, he's feeling it. And he's limited by two things. He's limited by his human understanding. Because when you read this, there's a lot of things going on there that we don't understand. Seven horns. Like, if I said to you, there's a lamb, but it's standing, but it's as if it's been slain, and it's got seven horns and seven eyes. You'd be like, something has gone dreadfully wrong on this farm. Something on this farm has, I don't know what they were, if they had a nuclear reactor nearby or Chernobyl, but something's gone tragically wrong. But that's us in our human understanding looking and trying to understand what's being said, right? And also, not only is it human understanding, he's trying to explain from what he knows, you know, how does this compare to the fish that I catch for a living? And then the other side, he's limited by the language that he's got. Greek only has so many words in it. And there are definitely things going on there that there is no word for that has ever been written in any human language. And so he's doing his best, but he's in the same boat as you and I. And that's very encouraging. Like, I find that hugely encouraging. The second thing is that this book was written heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. And it's really helpful to know that, friends. Like, this is God looking at the earth. It's how God sees what goes on on, on the earth. And so often when we look, we look from our human understanding or our human fears or our human experience, and so we begin, because that's what we do. I see you do something, and I make judgment calls on your behavior based on my experience. And when we read this book, it's so easy for us to look at God, and we begin to make judgment calls on what he's saying and what he's doing, and that's not fair, and he shouldn't be, and maybe he should, and maybe there should be more of that and less of this. That's, heaven, that's earth looking at heaven. But heaven looking at earth, as we'll see, heaven is perfect. And so when heaven makes a comment about earth, it's always right. And we have to settle that beforehand because otherwise it's really easy in this book to get our noses a little bit out of joint, to be honest. So let's talk about some of the things that we see in this text. So that's kind of how we're going through this. We are looking at some of the things that are a little bit tricky, the things that are a little bit confusing to explain them, and then we're going to look at, today, we're going to look at the three songs that were sung, and look at worship as we finish off. So, one of the first things we see about the book of Revelation is the importance of this number seven. It comes up over and over and over again. And one of the things that's really helpful when we study scripture, now I see it time and time again, guys, they look at scripture and they go, well, what in my life would make sense with this? And they try to interpret scripture by their cleverness, or maybe you're a mathematician, and so number seven or whatever. The, the, the first rule of biblical interpretation is that Scripture interprets Scripture. Nothing else. But you use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So we saw the rainbow last week. We're able to tie that back to Noah because that's where the rainbow was, the covenants of God. So where do we see seven for the first time in the Bible? We see it in Genesis right in the beginning when God creates the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rests. Why? Because it's finished. It's complete. It's done. There is no more to be done. There is no more to be added. Everything is complete. And so seven is the number of completion, the number of everything. It's done, done and dusted. And so when it talks about in this, when John sees the lamb talks about the lamb having seven horns and seven eyes. Again, whenever we see horns in the Bible, it speaks about power. 
it speaks about authority. If you think about it, if you are in a pen with a very angry sheep, right? There's a business end and a not a business end of that sheep, or ram. And the business end involves its horns, right? And the not business end is, you know what I mean? It, it, so horns speak about power. And so when it says that the ram, when it, when it speaks about the lamb having seven horns, it's talking about the fact that Jesus has all power, all authority, never been threatened, complete, done, unfazed. So what does it mean for us? Well, the thing that I'm worrying about at the moment, you know the big thing that's in front of me, the thing that's aiming its business end at me, and I'm feeling like this thing's going to run me over? There is a lamb who has all authority for us, all power, and he wants us to see him over whatever the things are that threaten us. So all power. The eyes, that which are the seven spirits, speak about understanding, speak about knowledge and wisdom. And so just like the seven horns speak about all power, the seven eyes speak about the fact that Christ is all-knowing. He has seen everything there is to see. And he is at rest. Which is funny because if you think about when little bits of information are added to our world, you know, you get home at four o'clock, five o'clock, whenever it is, and your Eskim app goes off in it, and you were planning on cooking dinner, and the app says, been pushed from stage one to stage six and so now from six o'clock you got home at five from six o'clock until ten o'clock you've got load shedding so information's been added to your world like we're not at rest you know what i mean like it adds not rest to our world it adds trauma but the lamb sees everything there is to see has all knowledge and is at rest that does something for us, friends, if we understand and we see him. And that's what John sees when he sees the lamb, the one who has all power and all authority. Second thing is we see the scroll. So I think we, if you've just had a perfunctory looking at scrolls or whatever, sometimes we think scrolls are read this way. But these scrolls, right, that they're talking about here, the scrolls that would have a whole book written on them, were written, you would open it sideways like this. So you would roll it up this way. And it was written in columns like this. And so as you read it, you would like open the scroll, you'd read this column, and then you'd open this part and roll it along and then read this way and read this way. That's kind of how you'd read through the scroll. And so a scroll like this that would contain the whole book of Revelation would be meters and meters long. Massive scroll that gets rolled out. And, and when it says that it's sealed with seven seals, John would understand what that means. Because in Roman tradition or under Roman law, someone's last will and testament, their, decided, their decision of what's going to happen in the end was bound with seven seals. And seven witnesses would come and each of them would take their signet ring and they were on the knot of the piece of string, they would put their seal. So each person puts their seal on one of those seven strings. And so when that person, when it comes time to execute that will, all seven people have to be present or one of their descendants have to be present and only they can break that seal. So John would understand that, that there are these seven seals which bind the scroll. And so you can't open one and read a little bit and then open another one. It's like 
all seven have to come off to be able to read everything that's in it. And that'll become more important as from next week. We'll see that. So what, what was written on the scroll? One of the things we've tried to do is keep theology, theology, and opinion, opinion. And if Jesus wanted us to know what was written on that scroll, he would have told us. It tells us of what the seals are, but what's written on the scroll is never told to us. But maybe I can make a suggestion. And remember, I'm over here in opinion now for a moment. I think the scroll speaks about the consummation of human history, of how it all ends, how it wraps itself up. Because the picture used is of that last will and testament. How does it all end? What happens at the end of this creation as we know it? So that's the scroll. It speaks about the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb. We'll talk about him in a moment, talking about Jesus there. But we know it's so beautiful. This is the only time in scripture where Jesus is referred to as the root of David, not the son of David. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, just before he's crucified in Matthew 21, it says, the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And this reminds us that Jesus is worthy because he fulfilled prophecy. He is the son of David, yes. He is man and God and able to be the one who's paid, paid for our sins, the one who's able to die in our stead. But he's also the root of David. Before David ever was, he is. And so he is at the beginning and he's at the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Last week we looked at he is the Carnelian and the Jasper. He is both. He has always been there. And friends, before you were ever born, he is. And at that final day of judgment, at that final day, whatever we're going to face, he is. Tomorrow, no matter what you face, he is. And the next day, and the next day, whatever, in a bazillion, gazillion years, he is. That's why he can say to us, behold, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Only he can make that commitment because he is both the root and the son of David. Beautiful, right? This book is so sick. <laughs> then the harps and bowls of incense. The harps speak about sound, and the bowls speak about smell. Two different senses. The sound speaks about our lips, and the incense speaks about our hearts. David writes in Psalm chapter 19, verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so this morning, we're going to talk a lot about worship. There's three songs that are sung here. But with these three songs, the question is this. So a lot of us have got, well, you've, maybe not us. Let's, let's aim our guns at other people if we can. You ever met somebody who's got a lot to say with their mouth, but their heart doesn't line up with what their mouth says? A lot of words but their heart is far from God or far from what they're saying. The harp and the incense. And then others, and I've seen in my marriage, if I say to Cindy, oh, baby, you know my heart. And she's like, don't, don't think you love me. Tell me you love me. Don't think you care. Tell me you care. 
You know, like let your mouth align with your heart. Let your harp align with the bowl of incense. And God is looking for true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. I worship him from here. And I express it from here. At home group, one of, the, one of the ladies said to us, yeah, but she heard that one of the reasons you don't pray out loud and say things out loud is because the devil, hello, <laughs> the devil's going to hear and he's going to know what you're praying and then he's going to get you. I think the devil is terrified when we speak to God and we worship him. Because those words are eternal. They are gathered in bowls like incense. How's he ever going to use that against us? I think it's so beautiful and so powerful. And the fact that God gathers them in bowls. And then the last quick thing is, why did John weep around this? I was reading about the Rwandan genocide a couple of weeks last week. And the depravity and man's ability to perform unspeakable acts on one another is beyond comprehension. Even just one-on-one. The fallenness and the brokenness of this world that we live in. And John, just like us, he's on the island of Patmos. He's a prisoner on this island. So an old man forced, forced to work in a stone mine, broken. And he gets caught up into heaven and he sees the perfection of heaven. And then he sees the scroll. And the scroll represents the end of all of this so that we can go be there in that. And then he hears that there's no one worthy to open the scroll, so we just got to keep living this. And he begins to weep. And friends, that should be a huge challenge for us because I think when Scripture talks about us being pilgrims passing through, like if this is it, Paul says we are to be pitied more than any man. And John sees the perfection of heaven. Friends, we are pilgrims passing through this world on our way to perfection. And can I be a little bit crude for a second? Some of us give our lives so much attention, it's like polishing a turd. Right, let's jump into the, let's talk about worship, shall we? That'll stick, eh? That'll stick. This week, when you're working really hard at stuff that doesn't matter, just remember. Right. So, (laughs) let's talk about, so last week, in chapter four, we were looking at the worship of, of of the Father. And then in this chapter, what's interesting is the Lamb is now shown. And worship moves from the Father to the Lamb, to Christ. There's a seamless transition. And so there's these three songs which are sung. The first song, right, in chapter 4, when all the elders are singing, they sing this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Talking about God created everything. But then the problem is man fell. And now God still created everything, but it's a mess. And so Jesus comes, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there as the slain lamb, and the song changes. There's suddenly this new song. 
You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And so Jesus is not only worthy because he, he is God himself, but he's also worthy because he's triumphed over sin and death. And he's made a way for people to be redeemed. Because what God the Father did in sealing the scroll, he made a provisor on that scroll. He said the only one who can execute judgment on the scroll is one who's prepared to make a way for any who accept him to be able to escape this judgment. Now it's crazy thought because if it was up to me, now we do know when we look through scripture, there's some pretty wild angels, right? Like this even says there's a powerful angel. In the Old Testament, we read about the angel of death that went around and like killed everybody with the Egyptians. And God is not vindictive when we look at the book of Revelation, friends. This is so important to understand. He's not like, this is my moment to get them all back. Let's send that big dangerous angel with a sword and the gun and the bombs and the, we're going to blow these people to smithereens. I've had enough. Because so often that's the view. Creation's gone on, gone on, and God's eventually had enough. Like, I'm just going to blow it all up. He ran out of patience. It's not that at all. When God so loves this world that he looks, it's like I'm going to wait for a while so that people can, can accept Christ. One day it has to come to a consummation because this can't go on forever, like John when he was weeping. But he said, the one who will execute judgment is the one who's prepared to lay down his life to allow people to escape that judgment if they accept him. The love of God in that. It's not as well that any should perish, but all should come to eternal life. This lamb carries in his body the marks of sacrifice. This lamb will administer the judgment of God in the coming chapters as we see, but he has purchased a way for any and all. And the sacrifice that he made is always fresh and current before the Father. There is always a slain lamb that takes away the sins of the world. The blood for your and my redemption has not dried up. The stripes that were for our healing are as fresh today as they were back then. It is though today is the day of crucifixion. Jesus is, this is a bit of a graphic picture, but Jesus' blood is as wet today as it was the day he was crucified. It's not a 2,000 year old event to go back and scrape away at some dry blood to try and find redemption. The lamb standing there as though he was slain for all mankind. And God hardwires that into the seals. He says, your judgment must come, but I love them so much that there must be a way for them to be redeemed. That's the first song. Then the second song is everybody's singing. And they sing this song, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and power to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and praise. And what's so beautiful about this song is, this song, right, is, sorry, this song is sung by the angels in response to that first song that we heard, which is sung by people, which is very different to what we saw last week, because last week, you've got all the people standing there just in front of the Father going like, just, and then the creatures, the living creatures, the cherubim, when they worship, it's like they snap people out of it, like, whoa, begin to worship. But in this text, what's so beautiful is 
as Jesus walks onto the center stage, as Jesus is revealed, the first people to worship are not the creatures, but it's man who is able to worship. Because we read in the book of Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When Jesus walks onto center stage, all of a sudden, we have authority now. We are not dumbstruck. We are not afraid. We are not like this, but we are able to approach the throne of, throne of grace with confidence. We need no other go-between anymore because Jesus is that go-between. And so the worship just erupts from people's hearts, not in response to anything else. And what's so crazy is the angels respond because they're looking going, these oaks, these oaks are killing each other, ripping each other off, cheating each other, lying, stealing. We see what happens on the earth. And these are the oaks. And the slain lamb stands there. Yeah, these are them. And the angels are like, you know, like error 404 or whatever. Just the computer program's not working for them. They don't get it at all. They do not understand. Scripture teaches they do not understand redemption. And how it works. So we have confidence. What are we doing about that access, friends? I trust that that's your space, that you know you have that access to, to the Father through Jesus. We're not just taking it for granted. And then the third song. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them sing, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It's fascinating because last week, remember the living creatures had been singing for eternity before this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All they have to say now is one word. Amen. Because it is finished. And friends, this is really, really important to take hold of. Because as we go into the next few weeks, it's going to seem like there's a lot of stuff going on. And there is and there isn't. And what I mean by that is, when it comes to redemption for you and for me, it's finished. Amen. It's final. There is no more effort you can put in to save yourself anymore. There is no more hard work and earning and whatever that's going to somehow make God love you more. There is nothing. It is finished. It is Amen. It's done. The lamb has come. The lamb has paid for our sins. The lamb has washed us clean. And we redeemed. And now we stand free. And the creatures just look and they're like, it's done. But if you look at the response of the elders here, and this is what I'd like to finish with this morning. It says they fell down and they worshipped. And when it says they fell down, the Greek there, I don't often do this because I don't want to try to sound like a clever person because I'm not. I would be lying. So the fell down means you fall prostrate. So you fall on your knees and your head goes onto the floor and you expose the back of your neck to whoever you're worshiping. It's not about words. It's not about blowing smoke up their bums. It's not about encouraging the person. It's about falling prostrate, 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 prostrate. I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> Didn't even say it to in the week. So often when we talk about worship, 
We think worship is like, guys, worship is a lifestyle. You know, we all heard that at the worship conference. What does that mean? Lord, as I pour this coffee, hallelujah. What does that mean? We love the worship in our church. Like, what does that mean? We like the music. But worship is incense and words coming from here. You love that. What is worship? Well, this text teaches us that worship is two things. Firstly, it's surrender. And secondly, it's submission. It's exposing your neck. So let's talk about submission first. A worshiper is one who submits to the authority of God's word. And they know that there is nothing true about this world outside of what God's word says. Proverbs 4.12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So, she has a big thought. If you know what God's word says about something, but you're umming and ahhing on it, don't call yourself a worshiper because you're not. If it's up in the air, so let's talk about forgiveness. God speaks very clearly about forgiveness. Now, expose your neck, feel vulnerable. Holding unforgiveness, holding anger, holding bitterness in our heart. It's impossible to worship. There's no worship there. But being able to go to God and say, Lord, I just want to. But I'm going to, I'm not going to, not before that person, but before you. I fall down on my knees with my head on the floor. I expose my neck. This is my worship. And guys, when I say submission, I'm not talking this culty, weird submission. We've all been in those weird culty churches where they talk about submit to the vision of the church and the elders and the pastor and all that. I'm not talking about that rubbish. Bible. That's submission. Second one is surrender. Because submission's out there in the way we do our life. Surrender has to do with our hearts. A worshiper is one who has embraced the truth that there is nothing good about them outside of what God has done and what he has given to them. Psalm 37, the, man, the Lord makes firm the steps of one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his right hand. Not such a bad person. Like I, I grew up, my first LP I ever bought was Roxette, judge me. The Look Sharp album. And there was a song on there that I really, I always like the B-sides. I like the song Listen to Your Heart because it's got one of the most underrated guitar solos of all time on it. But what a lot of rubbish. Listen to your heart. <laughs> Listen to your heart when it's calling for you. Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. I don't know where I'm going. Like, yeah, of course, you listen to your heart. And the, the issue is God's after our hearts to surrender to him. But while I'm holding on to my agendas and what I want and what I want to do and how I see things. We live in a world today that is so driven by feelings that feelings trump faith so often. 
And friends, if we're picking feeling over faith, don't call yourself a worshiper. See, this is where this book really comes to land. You know, I said we were going to teach a bit and then preach a bit. This is the preaching part, right? This is where tomorrow we wake up and we're like. (sighs) Because friends, then all of a sudden, it's so beautiful. God, I know I want to do this thing in myself. I'm so like this. I just want to, but I'm not going to because I worship you. I'm not giving this person a buy because I know that that day of judgment is coming. I know that scroll's going to be opened. Vengeance is yours, Lord. And we'll see even the martyrs say to God one day, hey, Lord, please, when are you, when are you going to execute judgment on our behalf? We'll see that later on in the book of Revelation. And it's not about giving people a buy, but it's saying, Lord, my life as worship to you. Whatever the thing is, if it's an area of submission or surrender, I lay it down for you, Lord. Bowls and incense lining up. That's That's why David says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Let's land it there. Can we close our eyes? I'd just love to pray for us as we land this. Friends, Jesus wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear what you, what's going on in your heart. He gathers it like bowls of incense for him. We have a joke in our home group. Some guys pray Picasso prayers. You know the guy who prays and then you're like, I'm never praying out loud again because that sounds like he's got a PhD in everything. They're terrifying. When I pray, it's like, dear Jesus, you give me nice life, please, hallelujah, Amen. He gathers those like in his bowls, friends, because they're honest. The incense and the harp align. He wants to hear your voice. How's it going? How's it going with your surrender and your submission? So now I can say to you, let me ask a question. Do you think Jesus loves the worship in this church? Because it doesn't involve a guitar or drums any of this. Do you think he loves the worship from this church? Because it's a church that submitted and surrendered to him and what he says. And maybe for you today, I don't know, maybe you've been far from God. Maybe you've been carrying stuff yourself. It's been heavy. And maybe you feel like, hey man, I've tried so hard. It's like Jesus is standing there in front of you today, the lamb. And his blood is just as powerful today to wash you clean, no guilt, no more shame. That you can look at the future and know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the root and he is the son of David. And it's honestly as simple as this, friends. I know this. I was a drug addict, three rehabs, lived on the street. Like I ran, man. And God brought me to a place of submission and surrender where he was like, have you had enough? And I was like, I've had enough. It wasn't a wonderful moment when I came to faith. I was, I ran out of fight. I don't know what your space is like today. But the lamb stands there. And not not weak. All powerful. All knowing. 
He knows everything you've ever done and he has all power to forgive you. That's you this morning. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I come to you with my whole heart and I'm laying it down. I'm on my knees, my head's on the floor, my neck is exposed. God, take my life. Giving it to you. I want to walk with you as my God, not in my own strength. Lord, as we've looked at your word this morning, I pray that you would minister from today and through the rest of this week, Lord. You would be speaking to us and holding us and challenging us and loving us and all the things that you do. Thank you, Lord, that when we see heaven on the surface level looks so bizarre, but Lord, when we look into it, it's so beautiful to know that you are so for the redemption of mankind. And we want to worship you and we want to surrender. It's the only fitting response. We love you this morning, Lord God. Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, you can send us your contact details to Cindy on our website, where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Centre Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Centre Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing Sunday.